0: Chapter Fourteen of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Red Abrus. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Chapter Fourteen Good News for Francis. When the children went out, and the young ladies had gone with their cousin, Mr. Brandon took the opportunity of asking how it happened that the Misses Melville were staying with her. She explained their position in a more matter-of-fact way than Miss Rennie had done on the preceding night, and then dilated on their virtues, particularly on Jane's. So clever and so sensible and so willing, there's nothing she does not understand, and yet Poor thing, she says she must go to the dressmaking, for with all her by ordinary talents and her by ordinary education, there is not another hand's turn she can get to do. I am sure the pains she takes with the bents at night, I just marvel at it. There's Tam, she can make him do anything she likes. It is a grand thing for a laddie when he is just growing to be a man to have such a woman as Miss Melville to look up to. It makes him have a respect for women. "'He need not look no higher than you, Peggy,' said Mr. Brandon. "'Ah! but you see I'm not quick at the book learning. I will no complain of Tam for want of respect to myself, for he is a good lad. Take him altogether, but then Miss Jean, she helps him with his problems and his squares, and runs up whole columns of figures like a lang-legged spider.' and tells him why things should be so-and-so, and and seems as keen to learn all about the engineering as himself. And she helps Jamie with the Latin, that he creket on so lang to take him learn, though for my part I see little good it will do him, and him only to follow the joinering and cabinet-making trade. And Tam, he will no be behind, and he must needs learn it too. And as for her writing, ye could read it at the other end of the room and in her uncle's house there was such order and such government under her eye as there was not to be seen in another gentleman's house in the country and yet poor lassie she says there's nothing but the dressmaking for her and miss elsie too writing day and night and cannot get a board for her bit poems and verses "'Till now she is like to greet her in out over every letter she gets from London about them. "'I can see Miss Jean has been egging up Mr. Hogarth, as they call him. "'I am no wishing him any ill, but I wish the old laird had made a fairer disposition of his possession. "'Well, Miss Jean has been stirring up this Mr. Francis to take them out for the sake of Elsie, "'for she is just fading away. "'I like her the best of the two and she is certainly far the prettiest. The eldest one is a little too clever for me, and too much disposed to preach, even in a ball-room. Well, I dare say she saw you had had rather little preaching in the bush, and I am sure you were none the worse of all said to you. But it makes us the more vexed at losing the real value of my bit property. For if I had had the twenty-five hundred pounds you speak about, We could have begun business in Melbourne together. She can keep books, and Miss Elsie has a clever hand at the millinery. We could have got on famously. I must let you see the Bairns writing books, and the letters she learns them to write, and their counting books too. Mr. Brandon looked and admired quite. To Peggy's satisfaction, and then he spoke to the old man in a kindly way, calling him Mr. Lowry, and saying he had often heard Peggy speak of him at Barragong. How much pleasure little curtsies like this give to poverty and old age! The old man's face brightened when he heard that he was known at such a distance by such a gentleman as this, and he answered Mr. Brandon's inquiries as to his health and his hearing with eager garrulity. "'Well,' said Peggy, "'I am no poorer than I was if I had not known about the bit-shop being worth so much. But when I think on Miss Teed and her sister, and the lift it might have been to them, I think more of it than I would otherwise do.' And now, Mr. Brandon, I'll trouble you to move from the fireside. I must put out the kale. But you were a fond of being in a body's way. I have it, said Mr. Brandon. It will do. What will do? You remember the Phillipses? What should ail me to remember them? But I have such a poor head. Forget to ask the thing I care most about. How is Mr. Phillips and how is Emily? All well, and the other four too. And Mrs. Phillips? As well as ever, and handsomer than ever, I think. Oh, her looks were never her worst fault, but what did you mean by saying it would do? The Phillipses came home in the vessel with me, and are settled in London for good. I think the eldest Miss Melville would be exactly the sort of person they want to superintend the household for Mrs. Phillips has as little turn for management as ever, and there is a considerable establishment, and also she might make Miss Emily and Miss Harriet attend to their lessons, for though they have masters or some such things, they are too much the mistresses of the house to be controlled by anybody. Their father was always very much taken up with these lassies. Emily used to be like the apple of his eye, and the mistress is too lazy to cross them either, I am thinking," said Peggy. Just so, if Miss Melville's preaching in season or out of season can give her a little more sense, I think Phillips will be all the better for it. She can keep house, admirably, you say, and that she is able to teach, these children's books testify. Tell Miss Melville to delay her resolution about the dressmaking, till I communicate with Phillips, which I will do by today's post. He is talking of coming up to the north shortly, principally to visit you. I think so he may see her and can judge for himself. Your account of the young lady seems everything that can be desired, and Mr. Phillips has such a high opinion of your judgment that your recommendation will carry great weight. He'll bring Emily with him to see me, said Peggy. Tell him to be sure and bring Emily with him. "'I cannot ask you to take potluck with us.' "'No, I thank you. I have just breakfasted. "'I do not keep such early hours as I did at Barragong. "'We turn night into day in these lands of civilization, "'and for a change it is remarkably pleasant.' "'But how do you take to Scotch fare after Australia?' "'asked Mr. Brandon, eyeing with astonishment "'the infinitesimal piece of meat which made the family broth.' I did not quite take kindly to the porridge at first, and miss the meat that we used to have in such abundance, but use is second nature, and though I wiles look back with regret to the flesh-pots of Egypt, have my strength, and I have some prospect of getting back to the land of waste and extravagance. As I, used to say it was at Baragong, and Mr. Philip's place at Viriwilta was worse still and Mr. Phillips has made his fortune with all that waste, and with all his liberality, and a foolish wife, and an expensive family, and is living in London like a gentleman as he is, said Peggy. And you really think you'd be glad to have Miss Jean? I have not a doubt of it. But good-bye for the present. I hear your youngsters rattling upstairs. I will see you again year long, and must get better acquainted with them good-bye sir said mr brandon to thomas Lowry, who have never been called either mr or sir in his life before was lost in astonishment at the remarkably fine manners of peggy's old master a very civil spoken gentleman peggy said he it must have been a pleasure to serve a gentleman of such politeness What a pity, said Peggy to herself, that I ever should have told the young ladies that daft-like story about me and the master. I wish I had bitten my tongue out first. But who was to think of him turning up like this? And he is just the man for Miss Elsie. But I have made her laugh at him, and I missed out if her proud spirit will bend to him. And after all, what the worse is he, if she had known nothing about it? And I dare say all young men are alike, and he is better than the most half of them. There was Elsie so taken up with that lad, Dalzell, that came courting Miss Chain, and if she had heard half that was said about him, poor Mr. Brandon would have been a saint in compassion. But an opening for Miss Cheyne is air eh, worth something to think of her being put under the like of Mrs. Phillips, and it's like I'll see Emily a spoiled bear, no doubt. But she had naturally a fine disposition, at least humanly speaking. It was not in human nature, however, that Peggy should quite lose sight of her own concerns in her pleasure at the thought of Miss Melville having something better to do than dressmaking. The recollection of the years of hard work that had converted her little shop into a freehold, her old pride in having her title made out on parchment, the hurry she had been in to get it let, to go home by a particular ship, and the obstinate way in which her tenant's wife insisted on a right of purchase, and her own reluctant admission of the clause, thinking that as the house was not new, two fifty pounds was an outside value for it. And now to think of its being such a kingdom. The town had run up to her little suburban shop, and far past it. On every side the monster, Melbourne, had been adding to his extent. And now, on account of the bit of garden and large yard that she had thought would be so nice for the children when she had them out, and that she had bought very cheap, the value of her property was increased tenfold. But she was none the richer. The sacrifice she had made had turned out even greater than she had expected. And now she could not help thinking of how she would miss Miss Melville, and what a loss it would be to her bairns, and how she was to keep Miss Elsie in tolerable spirits without her sister was another perplexity. The duties of the day were gone through as usual, however, but when the children and the old man had gone to bed, Peggy made up her mind to make a martyr of herself, and to sit up for the young ladies, who had not been home all day, and with a piece of mending in her hands, which got on but slowly, she mused on her ill luck. Very tired and sleepy, and a little out of humour, she was when she opened the door for Jane and Elsie. Well, well, I just hope you are the better of your late hours, though they are not just what I approve of. Only once in a way, Peggy, our holiday will soon be over. But you should not have sat up for us. Promise not to do it again. We have enjoyed the theatre tonight, have we not, Elsie? Yes, but the disenchantment comes so soon again. I have no great opinion of theatres and play acting and such like. I was once in a theatre in Melbourne, though, said Peggy. With one of your sweethearts, Peggy? asked Jane. Whist with your nonsense, Miss Jean! Don't be talking of sweethearts to a douse woman like me, said Peggy, who nevertheless was rather proud of her Australian conquests and liked to hear them alluded to now and then. But how did you like the play? I cannot say I did. To see folk dressed up and painted rampaging about and talking havers, just making fools of themselves. Are we insignificant-looking bodies setting up to be a king? And the soldiers, you should have seen the soldiers, as if they could ever fight. It is likely there was nothing very frustrate on the Melbourne boards at that time. But our play to-night was perfectly well got up," said Elsie and the acting was admirable. I am no clear that at its best the theatre is a fit place for Christian men and women to frequent, said Peggy. You prefer the stern realities of life to its most brilliant illusions, said Jane. Speaking of the realities of life, Mr. Brandon says he knows of something likely to suit you, Miss Jane, said Peggy. Indeed, said Jane with an incredulous smile. At least he says you must resolve on nothing till you hear from him. He's going to write to London to Mr. Phillips. you Mr. Phillips? Is he in London? Yes, and Mr. Brandon says they are sorely in need of somebody to keep the house. For I fancy everything is a track and manager if Mrs. Phillips has the management. And to make Emily and Harriet mind their books, for they are such spoiled birds. I was showing Mr. Brandon what you could do with Tam and Nancy and the others, and he says you are exactly the person that they need, and I can see that it is wondrous feasible. What salary should I ask, said Jane, or should I leave it to Mr. Phillips? You had better leave it to him. He is not such a skinflint as our benevolent associations i always found both him and mr brandon open-handed and willing to pay well for all that was done for them to me mr phillips was most extraordinarily liberal then you think it likely i will get the situation at a respectable salary i think you are almost sure of it what good news for france tomorrow said jane end of chapter 14 recording by red abris September 2008